experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. The tech stocks have had a tough go of it lately, just like a lot of other stocks. When I talk about tech stocks, I'm referring to the big cap names, names like Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, and not the smaller, trendier names that have just absolutely gotten annihilated. The big ones, for the most part, are actually producing earnings, real earnings. In other words, free cash flow. Now, I know some of you don't want to pay up 40 or 50 times earnings for these names, which I understand, but they are generating cash. This is Eric Whiteman. This is Common Sense Investing. Glad you could join me today. A listener sent me an email asking about the recent stock split announcements from Amazon and Google. And if you have questions, you can send them directly to me at ewhiteman at xmlfg.com. That's ewhiteman at xmlfg.com. If you haven't heard, back in early February, Alphabet, that's the parent company formerly known as Google. It's kind of like a Prince thing going on there. Alphabet announced that they were going to split their stock 20 for one. And this is going to apply to the two share classes you can actually buy, which is G-O-O-G-L and G-O-O-G. And this split is supposed to occur in July. So for every share that you have in either of those share classes, you're going to end up with 20 shares. Amazon, symbol AMZN, announced last week that they're doing the same thing. They're splitting the stock 20 for one. And that'll happen or is supposed to happen at the end of May. Fundamentally, this doesn't change anything. Their earnings aren't going to go up because of this. Their free cash flow isn't going to increase because of it. Your ownership in the company isn't going to increase. The same earnings are just distributed across more shares and you have more shares. It's certainly good for Wall Street. And that's because brokers and exchanges generally charge commissions on a per share basis and payment for order flow works the same way. That's why some brokerages don't charge commissions for trading because they sell the order. The more shares outstanding, the more shares trade the more Wall Street makes, everything else being equal. So what gives? Management investors know that stock splits don't fundamentally alter the value of a company. For years and years, these companies seemingly had no interest in splitting their stock. Now they do. They've gone from the more commas, the better, to no commas. Let's lay out some of the possible reasons or theories here. First, this week, we're marking the two-year anniversary of the start of the COVID lockdowns. During COVID, with that extra time at home, some people learned how to bake bread. Other people learned how to trade stocks. In particular, I'm talking about the millennials. This is probably one of the most coveted demographic groups out there. They're in their prime earning and spending years, and they typically have a strong direct link to the companies that they own, meaning if they own the stock, then they're probably shopping at the company. So 
why not make the stock more accessible to these potential new customers rather than just rely on relying on the institutional shareholder base? Yes, these new investors could buy fractional shares. That's part of a share. But that's not like owning a few whole shares. When you start owning whole shares, then you care. And then maybe you start changing your spending habits. The second possibility has to do with the Dow. That's right, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Now, you're asking yourself, what does the Dow, an industrial average, have to do with Google and Amazon? It's so old school. It's not like they're Caterpillar or Boeing or Chevron. These are tech companies, Google and Amazon. I think that the Dow wants and needs to stay somewhat relevant or else they'll just become forgotten. If you remember in September of 2020, they added Salesforce, symbol CRM, and dropped ExxonMobil and Amgen out of the index. Oops, eh, probably not great timing on their part, but anyhow. They also dropped Raytheon for Honeywell at the same time. But anyway, I do think that they want to stay relevant. They're never going to change 100% because that would make past years non-comparable. And then your index isn't worth anything. But I do think they will keep adding in more, quote unquote, modern stocks over time. Now, let's get back to Google and Amazon splitting their stocks. If you're like an elephant and you can remember back to June 2014, Apple split its stock seven for one took it down to $94 from 658 and then it joined the Dow in less than a year. A year after they split the stock, they joined the Dow. Now, do Google and Amazon's management care about becoming Dow stocks like Apple? From a financial perspective, probably not. Very little capital is indexed to the average. So from the perspective of corporate recognition, the answer is likely, eh, maybe especially since Apple is in the Dow and has a larger market cap than either of those companies, either, either Amazon or Google, all I and they know for sure is that your stock has to be less than $500 before you can be in the Dow. The last possibility, or it could be all three of these or none of these or a combination of them, who knows? The last possibility, it could be a sign of corporate confidence. Well, not as powerful as the dividend increase or a buyback announcement. Amazon did that too. They announced an increase and a buyback. One can interpret a stock split as a sign that managements are optimistic about their businesses. While entirely optics, no CEO wants to hear, you know, remember when your stock was $2,000? Those were the good times. The only way to make sure that conversation never happens is to keep the stock moving higher after a split. So to sum it up, both Amazon and Google are run by disciplined and thoughtful managers. So seeing both companies announce stock splits within weeks of each other says something new is happening in the capital markets. Millennial investors may be small investors, but the rest of their wallet is large and growing. That leaves Tesla as the only stock above $500 a share that also has at least a 1% weighting in the S&P 500. So 
I guess I should assume that Tesla will announce a stock split soon. Although Elon Musk does have a habit of doing his own thing. We'll see. Speaking of Elon Musk and Tesla, he said that a shortage of nickel is the biggest challenge in producing high volume, long range batteries. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why the EV makers have just been getting crushed, which brings me to the war in Ukraine. Of course, my heart goes out to those people, and I truly hope that this ends soon. It's also part of my job to look at the effects it'll have on us and the markets. This is one of those events that have blindsided even some of the most cautious investors. Put together, Russia and Ukraine only account for about 2% of global GDP. That's in dollar terms. So a deep recession in both of these economies, well, wouldn't likely cause a dent in global growth, at least not directly. Unfortunately, the indirect effects are pretty substantial. Just give you a quick overview. Russia is the second largest commodities exporter. That's after the U.S. And they're the second largest oil producer accounting for about 12% of annual global output. They also produce about 4 to 5% of the world's nickel, which is why Elon Musk made those comments. And they also produce about 35% of the world's palladium, which is used in things like catalytic converters and other type of electronics. If you toss in Belarus with Russia, together they produce about 40% of the world's potash production. What's potash? Well, think fertilizer. That's significant, and I'll get to that in a minute. As for Ukraine, they export a lot less than Russia. So it has a lesser effect. And most of what they do export are things like agricultural products and metals. Besides all the attention that oil's been getting, here's something else to think about. Russia and Ukraine together produce about 25% of the world's wheat exports, most of it going to Africa and Asia. But with the war raging on, you're not going to see those exports. That's a problem. Yes, the world could step up and try and cover the shortfall. But the major problem is Russia and Ukraine aren't producing the fertilizer needed for the crops. There are also other issues, too. For example, Ukraine is a major producer of automotive wire harnesses. Volkswagen, BMW, and Porsche, they've all had to cut back on auto production due to war-related shortages. So prices of those cars are going to go up. The bulk of semiconductor-grade neon that's used in high-precision laser lasers, that comes from Ukraine. A lack of supply there could exacerbate the semiconductor shortage. Semiconductors are basically in everything. Ukraine trades mostly with its European neighbors, but I suspect the shortages in agricultural products, semiconductors, and automotive components are likely going to reverberate across the globe. Here in the U.S., we really don't have all that much direct trade going on with either Russia or Ukraine. And for the most part, U.S.-based multinational companies have limited direct sales exposure. Some do. And they're being negatively impacted. For example, Philip Morris gets 8% of its sales from Russia and Ukraine. Pepsi gets almost 4.5%. Mondelez, more than 
All three of these companies have already announced that they're discontinuing or curtailing Russian operations, and they're taking direct hit to their earnings. So from what I see, the consumer staple stocks are the most exposed. And I don't think that it's fully priced into these stocks. What I think may happen is, is you're going to see food prices continue to rise as if we haven't seen that already. Because of the things that I've, I've mentioned, no wheat exports, no fertilizer being produced. So the consumer staple stocks will probably see an increase in their cost. So far, they've been able to pass that along. But I think it's going to be harder for them going forward. And they also have very thin margins. So I'd be careful with the consumer staple stocks. I'd be careful adding to them. Same thing with the automakers, both the traditional and the EV producers. Let's face it, the war in Ukraine has just wrecked havoc across the U.S. equity market, even though that even though the U.S. Uh, trade with Russia and Ukraine is almost insignificant. That's because the U.S. economy is affected by scarcity of metals and materials, soaring food prices and supply chain disruptions. As is often the case, they're going to be winners and losers. The energy and materials and mining stocks, well, you got to put them in the winner's column. The technology sector, especially things like software and cybersecurity, probably going to benefit from the disruption of war. And as I talked about, the consumer staples, travel, auto manufacturers, and semiconductor manufacturers are likely going to take a hit because of the shortages and soaring input prices. Here's my main takeaway from all this. The winners don't stay the winners forever, and the losers don't stay the losers forever. At some point, the winners are going to be overvalued, and the losers are going to become big opportunities. Can you time that? Probably not. But you can look at the fundamentals and see what's expensive and what's not, and let that be your guide. Okay, I've run out of time. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. I'm Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talk about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and are not necessarily those of the XML Financial Group. I typically own and trade the securities I'm discussing, both personally and for my clients, but not all of them. Likewise, employees of XML and our affiliate broker-dealer may be trading and providing advice regarding the securities I mentioned to their clients as well. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I suggest you get someone who's qualified in those areas so you can get the advice you deserve. 
When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. I like to make projections and other forward-looking statements, which are just that, opinions, and are not actual results and are only valid as of the date of this recording. Things change constantly. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.